Oh, that's a good question. Like, does he resent everything being a yes. gate now? Yes. Was that the first gate? Yeah. Because it was of called. It was the first. Okay. Yeah, so water. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Jews and all others who voted. This is Unorthodox, a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I am Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by Deputy Editor Stephanie Butnick. Hello. Hello. And Senior Writer Liel Leibowitz. May the Lord help us. May the Lord help us. A special episode of Unorthodox today. You will notice that this is not a Thursday, that this episode is actually dropping on a Tuesday because we wanted to come to you on Election Day. So those of you who listen as soon as the episode auto-downloads are listening on your way to the polling places on this Tuesday. Those of you who are listening later in the week, you know something that we don't. As, as Tom Brady calls it, Super Tuesday? Super, super Tuesday. What does Gazella call it? <laughs> are they still together, Tom and Gazella? You know that's not how you say her name, right? Giselle. Giselle. So I you know I saw them at Hamilton. I know now. They were at Hamilton the night that I was there. And They're it's on funny the, on stage? No, because it was during his suspension. So it was like he had time to go he to Hamilton. I'm not throwing away my shot because I'm going to deflate my <laughs> balls. Anyway, for our special election coverage on this Tuesday, November 8th, we are welcoming – this is entirely new. This is like we're breaking all the rules here today. We are welcoming three Jews and a Gentile. Um, we are welcoming Jew uh, – Jamie Kerchick, uh, author, political commentator, reporter. We are welcoming Jew Eliana Johnson, author, political commentator, reporter. We are welcoming Jew Grandpa Rothhouse, Stephanie Butnick's Grandpa, Grandpa Al. Grandpa Al from Boca Raton. Holding the fort in the Literally great state of the Florida. Fort down. Who is actually voting today in Florida. They've already voted. Oh, there's early voting? They early voted like last week. We'll ask him about they, yeah. it. And he's an elderly liberal Jew from Florida. So we're going to talk to him about what it's like to be... A Democrat in the shadow of Mar a Lago. He's not that elderly. Like, oh, he's pretty. Like he's 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 spry. He's neither that elderly nor that liberal. But no, he's, he's pretty liberal. <laughs> so we're going to talk to to Grandpa Al, and then we're going to talk to a gentile you may have heard of, just a, a little somebody called Bob Woodward, just a guy who took down a president. You know, low those many years ago. There may be more presidents to take down. By are we, the time. are we going to ask if he can do it again? We're going to ask if he can do it again. <laughs> so uh, we're going to get to all of those super guests in just a minute. Uh, before we do, just a big extra thank you. Uh, last week's episode, as you know, came to you live from Hebrew College outside Boston. I just wanted to say again that Hebrew College is not only um, an amazing place, and I should say full disclosure, I've given some talks there and I've, I've met those people and, and feel like I know them. Uh, interfaith, pluralist, not interfaith, but interdenominational pluralist, every branch of Judaism represented there. Um, just a really, really special place for learning. Learning and uh, it was and they threw a great party. It was really fun. It was yeah. off the hook. So, um, so thanks to Hebrew College. And we, you know, we're not going to do a lot of news of the Jews today because I feel like there's one big news item that the world ended. That that by the time you hear this, you're voting on we'll whether or not gone. A, a sort of truncated, truncated notj news of the Jews. Uh, item one, we just a big shout out to Daniel Elif, the fifth generation Clevelander and Orthodox Jew, uh, who got to throw out the first pitch in World Series Game Seven. Uh, he won that right at an auction. Um, so big mazels to to Daniel Elif. No mazels at all to uh, Lena Dunham, who did this incredibly weird pro-Hillary. Did you guys watch her music video, her pro-Hillary? No. MC? You'd be shocked to learn that I did not. So she did this video. You know, thinking back to Pharrell's video for Obama, I think, eight years ago, she did this thing in, the, in her persona of MC Pantsuit, where she did a hip-hop rap oh that was God. pro-Hillary. And honestly, I almost wanted to vote Trump by the end yeah, of like the just, day. Just... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> The apocalypse, just come no, and I, I deliver mean, us. I'm typically on Team Lena, I want to say. Are but you? Sometime, well, yes. 
Habitually, I mean, Habit- not in this case. Yes, I mean, I haven't. Say so you support I, her. I didn't even watch you it. You support her is... in her recent statement that the world would be better if all heterosexual white men died. Did she say that? Yes, she did on Twitter. But that's you know, <laughs> not like a here, painful no death. No, a slow, <laughs> so, you know, pantsuit death. A sort of Belgian euthanasia death. That's exactly as, right. as it were. Um, what was so sad about it was, of course, the great like white Jewish hip hop rap of all time was, Nat- was Natalie Portman's rap on Saturday Night Live, that was number, amazing. which is just brilliant. And just, I, Liel, I know you're not on Team Portman, but oh it was really God. how are you not on any? The woman, but right the now. woman really carried off sort of ironic self parody hip hop well in that. And here's Lena Dunham, who's actually here's the thing: she's a great persona and a decent writer, but she's not a great actress as anything but herself. And so you I think put she's her... more than I, I think you got you're really selling her short. I think she's a very good writer. Like I think to call her a decent writer is you're oh you're right. Her skill is that she's I a, think that to call a her a writer. writer at all is an offense to anyone who's ever written anyway, the writer of our generation. Anyway, if you want to stay enthusiastic about voting for Hillary, don't go watch Lena Dunham's pro Hillary video. And finally, in news of the people good for the Jews and not Instead, good for the Jews. Watch drumroll. A new movie by Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. There we go. Leo, you predicted our third item today. Um, Mel Gibson has a new movie out. What's it's not it? a week without Mel. What's it called again? Hacksaw Ridge. And it's in it's... a world in which the Jews <laughs> control the media and the banks. One man. Yeah. So two little bits of news here. First of all, the star of this movie is what's his name? Andrew Garfield. Garfield. Garfinkel? Garfield? Garfield. Garfield, which means it was once Garfinkel, from The Social Network. And Spider-Man. If you say and so. And formerly dating Emma Stone. Watson? Stone. Emma Stone. Stone. Yeah. Uh, if you say so. And he said, like, oh, Mel was cool. Like, I'm a proud Jew, but we worked well, no, well together. No, you have to set this up. He was on Jimmy Kimmel. And Jimmy Kimmel was like, he said to Andrew Garfield, so... Working with Mel Gibson, like, so you're you're Jewish? Was that weird? Like, literally, that was the question. And 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 Andrew goes, proud, proud. I'm Jewish and proud, basically. Like, and he's like, yeah, he was a fine guy. Like, it didn't really come up, but it was like so funny that you it like, only comes now up. have to answer for working with Mel Gibson. Mel needs to be five drinks in before he reveals his true colors when he's sort of in director I can say mode. There is no guest I would rather have on the show than, more Mel, than Gibson. Mel Gibson. So the other thing... So I feel the two of us would have a very oh special God. thing going on. Mel Gibson's doing that thing again where he has a new movie to promote and he keeps talking about that <laughs> thing that happened eight years ago or whatever it Which was. Which we're going to play a little clip of. Right. In case you don't remember. He was pulled over on suspicion of driving under the influence and he got out of the car and shouted, fucking Jews. Jews. And to officer me, are you a Jew? And the Jews are responsible for all the wars in the world. I'm ashamed of that. That came out of my mouth. And I'm not that. That's not who I am. You know? And he says... It's like the first thing he says. It's like, I'm over it. I'm, I'm sober. Like, that was still a bring dark it up? Time. Like, Why is everyone I, I, talking about I didn't. It? You just did. But right. every time he brings up like a new detail. So this one was, you know, I was eight, eight double tequilas in. And you're like, what? <laughs> So it's like, it's, stop talking about he it. He literally can't stop talking about it. The question, of course, in the season of Atonement is, did he ever call, who was it he called Sugar Tits? Was it the officer? At the police station, still angry, he said to a female sergeant, what do you think you're looking at? Adding a reference to her breast. Did he ever find her? And Because as Jews know, you can't just offer a generalized apology. He has to find Sugar Tits herself and apologize for calling her. That thing that he called that, her. Anyway, that Mel. That you just called her. That I just called her. I didn't call her. I was, I was ventriloquizing mm, Mel Gibson. Yeah. Anyway, Mel, you are the gift that keeps on giving. I've heard people say, you know, I am a angry drunk. Fill in the blank. I am a happy drunk until I snap for no reason. Somebody said, I do not believe tequila can turn an unbiased person into a raging anti-Semite. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 
Well, they don't know what they're talking about. That's as simple as that is. Upcoming live shows, November 17th, Beth Zedek in Toronto. We've booked some amazing guests for there, including uh, the wonderful novelist David Besmosgis. And February 10th, we will be at Temple Israel in West Palm Beach, Florida. Speaking of Florida, who's it time to call? It's time to call Grandpa Al. It's time to call Grandpa Al. And it's lucky because he actually has a landline. Before we call Grandpa Al, I just want to say that he is apparently an amazing guy, right? He's a competitive chess player. He is a Boca resident. He is the maternal grandfather of Stephanie Butnick. He spent a career in banking before retiring to – why do you go to Florida? The golf links? The the weather? The They were doing like West – they were in Heritage Hills for a while and then they were doing half and half and then they just went back they down They just went Florida. all the way. And they are proud lifelong Democrats who are now surrounded by some Jews who are not going to vote today He is for in the heart of darkness. He is in He's the heart. He's as far up the river of Trumpkins and Boca you could go. And according to the notes I was given, Stephanie, he was very disappointed in you when you dated a Republican in college. Yep. Who was that Republican, Stephanie? And I don't want to name him, but he's like definitely going to be president one day. Oh, you can't stop that? No. When our parents met, it was like the birdcage. When he's president, will you think I could have been first lady? I did sure. not get that serious. I could have been like, had like a Jackie O thing. You, you, you would have made a very good Jewy O, I want to say. <laughs> no? That would be a really yeah. good vibe for you. All right. Should we get, should we, see that. Should we get Grandpa Al on the line? Okay. Hello? Hello? Al? Yes. Hi, hi, Al. This is Mark Oppenheimer from the Unorthodox Podcast. How are you? Mark, I'm fine. I enjoy the podcast. Uh, that means a great deal to us. And I'm here with Liel, whom you will know. Hello, sir. Yeah. And yes. also with your favorite granddaughter, Stephanie. Hi, Grandpa. <laughs> hi, Steph. Hi. She hi. is your favorite this granddaughter, right? This must be wonderful for you. You get a chance to talk to a stereotypical Boca resident <laughs> grandfather. Well, that's really what we want to get at here today is how stereotypical are you? Because we understand that you are a proud lifelong Democrat. And we've also heard that there are some in Boca, the famously Jewish community of Boca, who are not voting Democrat this year. And, and I think our main question for you is, uh, what's it like there? How many, how many Trumpkins, how many Hillary voters, and is everyone, is everyone getting along? Well, uh, let me answer the last one first. Uh, no, everybody's not getting along, because in general, as the election process has gone on, there's no conversation between the two sides. The Trump people, and, and I'm talking about the circle that I move in, generally older people, older Jewish people. But the Trump supporters out of that group are just vicious about it. What do they so, say? You know, what's, what's the rationale? The rationale is it's a holdover from the fact they never really accepted Obama. And they didn't accept Obama because he was black. And to the extent that Clinton has tried to incorporate the Obama legacy, those people are, are furious about this. So what's the craziest conversation you've had, Grandpa? Well, let me tell you the craziest conversation was, this is, this is really interesting. I went to my doctor yesterday 
Now, my doctor is in his 40s, religious Jew. And we just started to chat about this, about the election. And he told me he's going to vote for Trump. And I said, you know, why would you do that? He said, well, I don't think there's much to choose between them. And basically, the country needs a change. I guess, you know, he's like a small business owner that you've been hearing about who resents the fact that there's all this regulation, resents the taxation, resents the fact that the government doesn't seem to be working for him, and thinks that Trump is going to shake things up. I was absolutely, you know, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Is he still your doctor? He's my doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Did you end any friendships over this? Did you have friends who are no longer your friends because they're Trumpkins? Uh, Let me put it this way. I think a lot of friendships, friendships have been put on ice. So I have this I have this impression, Al, and this comes partly from my family. So this is my perspective that Jews are sort of reliable liberals, right, that they would want, you know, they, they like the idea of a black president and they like the idea of a woman president. And they think that, you know, a social safety net is a good thing. Am I just living in the past? I mean, the people you're talking to, are, are they just all about low taxes and me, me, me? Am I just am I just crazy to have this sense of Jewish superiority, Jewish liberal superiority? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Now, you have to understand, you know, that's who I am. I have never voted for a Republican for president, and I voted for Adlai Stevenson twice. In two different elections, to be clear. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That ought to be clear. Yeah, I voted for him in two different elections. And the, the fact of the matter is that in spite of what my wife had to say, I actually voted for Bernie Sanders in the uh, primary. Hi, Grandma. <laughs> and, and, you know, you're right. There is a liberal tradition in my generation that has seemed to disappear. I thought it was wonderful that I could vote for a black president. And that it'd be wonderful that in my lifetime I would also be able to vote for a woman, a woman to be president. But, you know, wealthy Jews living in Boca Raton, you know, they don't have that tradition. Somehow or other, that's gone. Grandpa, I have a question for you. Um, The people in your generation have actually, like, seen bad stuff, you know, like, this whole idea of like make America great again. They've actually seen like, you know, bad leaders, things like that. Is there any sense of perspective? Like if you served in World War II, like how can you vote for Trump? Like how do people reconcile their their life experiences and having been around for some of the more challenging historical things um, with voting for someone who has like such fascist undertones? You know what the the, the reason for that is People, because they have been, in one way or another, comfortable for the last 20 or 30 years, when presented with choices, it's, what's in it for me? Okay? 
And, and so that liberal tradition is not widespread anymore. It's just not there. And the reason is, I mean, the idea, you know, make America great again. I don't, I don't think if you're black, you want to make America what it was in 1960. I don't understand that. But if you're worried about your income and your investments, and the government doesn't seem to be responsive, then you say, I want to change. And they don't, they don't, I don't believe that, I think Trump really put his finger on it when he said he, he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and not lose a supporter. That's absolutely true. Grandpa Al, I have a final question for you. Why is Stephanie your favorite granddaughter? <laughs> oh, well, you, you've got to know the answer to that. Stephanie is very bright, but more than bright, if you listen to her, you find out things that you just never thought about. And she, uh, that's why she's my favorite. Don't tell my other grandchildren. They'll go nuts. We'll keep it entirely secret from Grandpa, them. our favorite, too. Grandpa, thank you so much for doing this. Hey, thank you, guys. You're, you're, I, I love your pod, podcast. I resent being stereotyped, but I think I can get over it. <laughs> All right, Grandpa. I'll see, you. You. I'll see you at Thanksgiving. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, love. Oh, get it. I just have to say that makes me miss my grandpa. He's the freaking man. I miss Grandpa Walter so much. I'm grandpa sorry. Walter was okay. <laughs> sorry. Um, let's call Bob Woodward. <laughs> grandpa, tell me about the good old days. Sometimes it feels like this world's gone crazy. Our Gentile of the Week is probably the first Gentile of the Week we've ever had who's been portrayed by Gentile Robert Redford in the movies. Uh, Bob Woodward, author of All the President's Men and longtime assistant managing editor at The Washington Post. He joins us from a subterranean parking garage in the middle of the night outside Washington. <laughs> We're doing a little just election uh, episode. And so we thought you, you've you've been around politics for a couple years now. Um, first of all, do you have any predictions for what's going to happen? Uh, no, if you I've been around the country a good deal uh, in the last couple of months, and if you ask how many people trust the polls, uh, almost no one raises their hand. Very suspicious of the polls, and I think with good reason. I I think that uh, what happens in the polling is somebody goes out and pours garbage on one of the candidates, or they pour the garbage on themselves, which happens many times. And then the pollsters come around. The, the essential question is, do you smell anything? And so you're measuring the news of the day or the week. So a prediction is uh, uh, not worth a whole lot, <laughs> uh, I don't think, Uh but if you, again, put all of this together, anecdotally, I think uh, either of them can win. I think Hillary Clinton most likely will win, maybe uh, 
there's an 80% chance uh, she will, but uh, that means there's a 20% chance uh, she won't. So, like the Cubs might win the World Series or something. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Being a, from Chicago uh, as a kid, I think I was a Cub fan uh, 65 years ago. <laughs> and uh, I have been waiting, so it was a significant turning point in my life to see the Cubs and know my father, who's deceased, who was an ardent Cub fan. He'd go out and work in the yard with a little transistor radio listening to their games. Well, then, first of all, Mazel Tov to you. And yeah, that. big but, week. You know, speaking, speaking of mistrust, watching this you know, momentous campaign unfold, were there ever moments where you kind of missed Nixon? Uh, I'm asking only half in jest, by the way. No, no. I uh, Nixon has been the gift that keeps giving, of course. Uh, but I don't... Uh, this this is not uh, Nixonian. It's got some dimensions, but the criminality of Nixon, which we now know from thousands of hours of tapes and documents and memoirs and testimony, is not matched by anyone. I think there's uh, deceit, dishonesty, corruption on the part of both candidates, frankly, And uh, but I don't think it's in the ballpark uh, in terms of what Nixon did that we could prove. So you've obviously seen seen a lot, seen it all, and, and you know, covered it and been instrumental in, in bringing that to light. Are there echoes? I mean, this seems to be like the this awful thing happening. Do you feel that same sense of, I don't know, apocalypse <laughs> that we that some of us are feeling? Uh, no, I think that's. Uh, I think it's real. I think we tend to amplify it in the media, but uh, I think there are a lot of what I call Valium voters out there, people who are hysterical and really upset, and then after the election, somebody's going to win, and people will calm down and go about their business, even if Trump wins. Uh, But if Trump wins, you have so many more unknowns, and uh, it it could be, at least in the short term, maybe even the long term, a total jolt to the political system in Washington and maybe to the economy and and foreign affairs. Well, that actually goes to a a question I've been wondering about. You know Washington very well. When most presidents come in, they draw their staff from this kind of pool of bureaucrats and, and appointees who have cycled in and out of various government offices and private industry. But there's a kind of Washington community of people whom you can put at various cabinet departments and administrative agencies. What happens if Trump goes in and he doesn't have any of those ties? And what's more, he's like burned. He's like completely trashed many of the connections that would help him staff up. Do we end up with just like the people from Breitbart News running Treasury? I mean, where does he get his people from? Well, that's a, a really good question. And uh, if if he were to win, again, I think it's unlikely, but uh, possible. Uh, I suspect uh, he might. And when uh, we interviewed him, Bob Costa, reporter at The Post, and I interviewed Trump six months ago, 
we spent a lot of time quizzing him on the issue of all uh, successful politics is consensus building, bringing people in. And he kept saying, oh, yeah, 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 you know, someday I'll get there, but I'm not there yet. But uh, so I suspect if he uh, looked around after winning the presidency, should that happen, he's going to be some... uh, what like the character Robert Redford in the movie The Candidate after winning kind of uh, looks a little stunned and says what do we do now that's not my favorite and, Robert Redford character i have to yeah, say yeah <laughs> we we have we have some other Robert Redford characters we like better but, but when you when you were sitting with Trump interviewing him did you get a sense that there was a there there i mean is was there a person capable of answering that question is there more than we see in these awful rallies and the shouting and the tweeting well, if you look at the transcript, which is on the Post website, uh, right? You know, it's. Uh, I mean, there is a there, there, but uh, he, for instance, said, "I." Uh, he said with pride, "I bring out rage in people." Now, <laughs> yeah, uh, and then he said he's not sure that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, you know, it, it's a bad thing. Uh, you. If you're president, you've got to bring people together. Again, this consensus building, uh, which he has never been a strong advocate for, obviously, as a candidate. At the moment of election, uh, I, I suspect with the, those disaffected Republicans, uh, were he to call on them, they, you know, some of them might uh, assist or actually come running. But, you know, that's very hypothetical. And you're quite right with, with Hillary Clinton. It's a group of people who, uh, previous, uh, office holders and to a certain extent has been. Of course, <laughs> the, the Trump movement is all designed to work against that. We don't want that establishment. We don't want the has-beens. We want uh, new people, new faces, new ideas, uh, but you can't, as they, I used to be in the Navy in the 60s, they always said with a big aircraft carrier, you're going ahead at a certain speed, you can't turn it around uh, without great effort and lots of time. Certainly the federal government uh, is like a um, giant aircraft carrier and turning it around or even changing the course several degrees as previous presidents have found is very difficult. I have a very important question for you. Um, So recently we've been hearing about, you know, Bridgegate, uh, Emailgate, all these, you know, Wienergate. Do you ever feel as like, you know, part of the originator of, uh, you know, the the original gate? Do you feel like we're just like using this term and you, you can't stand it? Like the sanctity uh, of gate has just been lost. Well, it has. Been, it was lost a long time ago. Uh, William Sapphire, a New York Times columnist, I think, coined the putting gate on the end of things, and he had been a Nixon speechwriter. And I, uh, I think initially it was designed to lower the bar on what a real scandal was. You know, the Republican narrative. The Republican, the Republicans have been very good in this election at creating a consensus for many people that Hillary is corrupt. 
Um, now, our, you know, Jill Abramson, whom you and I both know, former editor of The Times, she's written in The Guardian that actually there's no there there, that this is someone who's been investigated to the ends of the earth by multiple commissions, Whitewater and other hearings, and that actually uh, Hillary is relatively honest when it comes down to it, that they would have found about 20 smoking guns if, if there were any out there. What is your sense of how corrupt or not Hillary Clinton is? Well, uh, just because somebody's not indicted or convicted doesn't mean there isn't corruption <laughs> there. Bill Clinton, in the the speech he gave, very strong speech for his wife at the National Democratic Convention, said there's the real Hillary and then there's the cartoon. And he essentially said all the criticism is a cartoon. If you look at it neutrally, and I tried to, it's, some of it is a cartoon, but a lot of it's not. All of the business uh, that come out about the foundation, the emails, the speaking fees, the obsession to make money raises all kinds of questions, whether they're legal or not, uh, we maybe see, maybe we will never see, but uh, this is this is not a, a concoction, and and uh, it it's not necessarily criminal. It's uh, and some of it is unfair, but I and I've I've said this before. I've known Hillary Clinton since she was first lady. She's really smart. She's a dynamo, and she's become more hidden and secretive. I think that's a mistake. I think people can sense that. Hey, Bob, thank you so much. Uh, this has been really, really helpful. And uh, uh, have you voted yet? No, I, uh, I don't vote. I used to take my daughters into the voting booth and let them vote for me, but they're <laughs> away at college or out of town. And so I, I'm going to, I won't vote for for presidents, it's already decided in the District of Columbia. Wait, so when they were underage, you would take them in and just let them pick somebody? Yeah, they they let you do that in the voting booth. <laughs> it's citizenship training uh, for children. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this has been enormously enlightening, and uh, I will I will see you around New Haven. Thank you. All right, take care, Bob. Thank Bye. you. Do it, do it right. You're my nose. You're gonna hype it, hype it with the facts. Woodward, Bernstein, you're both on the story. Now don't fuck it up. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture, as a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y.
Hey, J. Crew, it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Browse and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for Tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Charbar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. Next up on special unorthodox election coverage, 2016, 5777, tablet correspondent and man about Washington and Daily Beast columnist and provocateur, James Kerchik. Jamie, thank, thank you, you. For, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark. Have you been on Russia Today again lately? No, not in, not in <laughs> Could you just years. give the one minute version of what happened to you on Russia Today? Uh, that was a great moment of... Let of, me do it. So, so Jamie doesn't have to... to <laughs> it's a great moment so, of so civic Jamie, theater of, this, this of, kind of performance of, art. This kind of, you know, uh, widens Jamie's intro. Uh, Jamie's a hero, uh, and really, especially in this you know election season, Jamie speaks truth. Uh, and you're Jamie not answering on, the question at Russia all. Today. Russia. I'm okay. not paying him. To and say this, Jamie uh, let the wonderful people of the Kremlin-run propaganda news television station know precisely what he feels about the fact that they are you know lousy Putin apologists uh, by talking, for example, about gay rights and their non-existent stature in Russia. There was a costume uh, change. There was a costume change and, and you should all Did uh, you like you rip open Google your shirt? In my no, memory, I had you suspenders. ripped open your had, shirt no, 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 to reveal I, rainbow they were, pasties they or were something. Hanging, no. Rainbow suspenders were hanging uh, from my waist and I pulled them up. No. So, Jamie, this has been a, a really freaking awful electoral season and you've been really, really good Thank at, you. Uh, at you know, keeping the, the moral flame uh, high as it should be. Here's kind of my first question. Who are the worst people of this election season? Because I feel we've had a lot of really horrible fucking human beings. Mm. Who's the to, worst uh, of the if worst? If you were to pick like five or ten who we really need to kind of, yeah. you know, come to terms with and I don't want to say punish, but, you know, uh, bring to justice, if you will. Well, I did an article for the Daily Beast uh, two weeks ago. Part and of I, why I'm asking. And it was a, a list of 25 unforgivable people. Mm-hmm. And actually, number one, who's in the news now again today, was Chris Christie. The worst. Right, like um, as we sit here, we just found out yes, his aides were convicted yes. moments ago. Yes, yeah. for Bridgegate. For Bridgegate. I put him Bridgegate. Yeah. Gate. I put Sorry, him at Bob. the top because I, I, he was really seemed to be the first establishment Republican who endorsed Trump. And he kind of opened the door, I think, to a lot of other, um, you know, rational, serious Open people supporting lane, him. Open the lane, as it were. Open the lane, yes. And I, <laughs> I remember where I was when Chris he had, Christie he, he gave <laughs> handed out easy passes. <laughs> yes, very much, very much so. So he's at the top. I put Gingrich at the top. I just think he's a 
a fat pig and just a disgusting human being. Hey, there was no need to go Sorry. after his... I'm just going to say there was no need to go after his weight. As I a, hate Gingrich at least as much as you, but I'm yeah. anticipating... As, as, as a fat pig American, no, you know what? I, actually say, I agree with no, that you know what? I'm, I'm going to bring it up. You know why? Okay. Because he defended Trump when Trump went after the um, That's right. Miss Universe for being Miss Piggy. Miss Piggy. That's right. And then, That's okay. and then, okay. and then Newt Gingrich, this fat pig, <laughs> came out and said that he was right to do so. Because it was so, her job. So can I just... So Newt, Newt is a fat pig. Wait, can I scratch my own Newt Gingrich for a moment? Wow. Which is that... Gloves are off, okay? Which is that Gingrich, you know, one of the things in my religion reporting history is I'm very interested in um, annulments from the Catholic Church and how easy they are to get. You and I, Jamie, are from Massachusetts, where if you're a Kennedy, they just exactly. they pre-issue you some annulments in case you might need them yes. down the marital right. road. And Gingrich is now a Roman Catholic, um, but it's unclear that he ever got his first marriage annulled. I think he got the second oh. one annulled but and is now married to the, the third the mistress. Callista. Right, who was the mistress, right? I think it worked in his office. And worked in his yeah. office. And But if the Catholic Church says that any previous marriage to any other Christian, even if you weren't Catholics at the time, mm. is a real marriage that has to get annulled. So his first marriage, I think he was a Southern Baptist marrying his Southern Baptist high school sweetheart. I have... I'm sorry, by the way, had it been a Jew, is it completely kosher? If you married then a Jew, you, the marriage, yes. I think, it, didn't, it didn't count. count. You don't need it at all. Didn't count. Right. It's between so two. Are you saying that Christians. Newt Gingrich is a chained woman? He's a, he's an aguna and a bigamist, is what I'm saying. That's <laughs> exactly. He's an aguna up with Pope, with Pope Francis. So I have like at various points in the last election cycle, I peppered his PR people with questions, saying, "Did he ever get the first marriage annulled? Because if not, then according to the Catholic Church, he's a bigamist." They never answer. And I just think, I mean, he's one of those people like Bill Bennett, who you mm. know all along, they're Horrible. virtue peddlers who have no virtue. Horrible. Bill, yeah, Bennett's totally up just there. Just total opportunists, right? Yeah. And it's like, why are so many, you know more right-wing douchebags than I do. Why are so <laughs> many right-wing douchebags on their fourth marriage or third or fourth marriage? Yeah. How does it not on register? Their, like, high moral horse. Yeah, like, how does it not register internally within the community that Mark, they're bad apologists for virtue? fascinating as this conversation is, Jamie has, like, a list of 25 assholes to <laughs> get to. Okay. He's only done two. Where's we got Rudy? to Gingrich. We got to Gingrich. Where's Rudy Giuliani on this? Rudy list. was yeah, and he was a real disappointment. The newly to me bald personally. and teeth capped yeah. Rudy Giuliani. Because I liked Rudy Giuliani, and he was my kind of Republican, you know, socially moderate, tough on terrorism, good mayor. Dresses up well in a dress. Yeah, was yeah. did drag, and then just to see him, I was at the convention, and he gave the most, I mean, insane, orgasmic. Like bizarre rambling speech. Uh, you kind of made a, a larger argument, right? This is a specific kind of psychological profile. Mm. Forget you know being in camp Trump, but who actually right. supports and is excited about what, what's what's that person like? I think it's um, it's an authoritarian personality. It's um, and with Trump, I mean, you can't. I mean, if you want to look at Trump in the particular, it's 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 racism. I mean, I, I just can't escape that. I think this is a largely a white supremacist. Movement. I think it's ninety percent that. I think it's all based on racial resentment. Where does it leave us, quasi-normal conservatives who just want you know the the principled value of the movement that's now been torn to shreds by Cheeto Benito? I mean, that's a great question. I think you have to fight for the for the party as a big ten Democrat. We'll have you back. Yeah, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I've happily endorsed Hillary Clinton. I'm not going to be happy with her as president, probably. But I mean, there's no question. But yeah, no, I mean. I, what I'm worried about is that now the Republican Party might become sort of like an, a European ethno-nationalist style, okay. you know, f folkish party, like like the but but that Front works. But they have power in a parliamentary system, a folkish right. party. In a two-party system, that party really loses badly in most places. Yeah. I mean, they one would hope they keep yeah. Alabama, right? But right, that's you know. that's the silver lining, I guess, is that this does not have a future. This sort of politics, but it does have a kind of a rump. Yeah, thirty-five percent of the country that will support it, which is horrifying. The when you think about rump, it. if you will. So, yes. what's the worst thing you've been called on Twitter this election oh, cycle? Oh God! Um, 
Yesterday, I got a lot of sodomites and catamites. It's like, tell me something I don't know. What is it? You know, a catamite like, is a after children? Sodomite is after I think a catamite bum. is, no, no, I think a catamite is a... A bottom? If you want to say that. It's sort of a in, in the court of... Say a gay king. Have you gotten he like the Jewish, the Jewish flavor? Little catamites running around. I think you're a little bit of a catamite. Yeah. Have, has it taken on a Jewish flavor? Oh, of course. I mean, yeah, I've had I've had the Photoshop of my face in the gas chamber multiple times. I never got that. <laughs> yeah, Leo really, really wants that. Want the, yeah. Yeah. Did you guys see what someone tweeted? Tablet tweeted our last episode and at like at Je- <laughs> Jeff Jacoby <laughs> and at Jeremy Hobson, and someone wrote back to the three of them with like. The woman Di- yelling yeah, the at the woman Jews. Yelling, yes. Die, Jews. Chandler's list. Yeah. Goodbye, Jews. Goodbye. Was that from Schindler's List? Was yes. that a, a screen grab yes. from Schindler's There's List? There's a whole... Um, it was yeah. like a gif. Someone gifed Goodbye, Schindler's List. Uh, is that oh. what that was? But that was the... Fr- I mean... And that's like our guests. That's yeah. like not... Do it to no, us, I feel really... like. Yeah, don't go after our guests. Don't go after Jeff Jacoby. Well, and this is... I've been amazed by, by the Jewish Trump supporters. Uh, it's incredible. Because, I mean, I have... Ne- I'm just going to come out and say this. I mean, I, th- I think Trump is making America dangerous for Jews. He is making this country dangerous for Jews. His movement is a threat to Jewish lives. Jewish lives matter, and Trump is threatening them. And any Jew who is supporting this you movement heard it here first, is a Shonda and should be... I'm, I'm dead no, serious. I, I agree. It is repulsive, and these Jews have absolutely no excuse. Who I mean, broke is... your heart the most this, this season? Was there any one person where you thought, fuck, I really expected better? No, I don't want to say it because they're like personal. Publicly, <laughs> is, there, is there one person who you looked at and be like, ah, oh, man... I mean, Marco Rubio. I guess I was yeah. I was saddened by that. I I liked him in the primary, and I thought he had a real future. But he's I mean, this is the guy who said Trump can't be trusted with the nuclear codes, and then he endorses him for president. I, I mean, how could I ever trust behaving Marco Rubio? if you will like little Marco? Like he is. <laughs> like, this is the thing about Trump. He's actually right about these people that right. he ridiculed yeah. during. He actually saw he into is, them. Yeah. <laughs> he is little Marco. He is Lion Ted, okay? Like, it's true. He's revealed. <laughs> they're, all, they're, they're a bunch of frauds. Okay, so have you, like my grandpa Al, had to put friendships on ice? Um, it's it's kind of like an unspoken... It's like, like a Chelsea Clinton and Ivanka t- thing. Yeah. yeah, we say don't talk We'll, we'll talk it. at the end of the election. <laughs> it's, like really, it's like passive aggressive, and it's like, you know how I feel, you, I know how you feel. What about... Uh, let's, let's avoid this. You're someone, Jamie, and I've, I've known you for a long time, who... Uh, I think you used to identify as more on the left than you are now. I was a Nader supporter. You were a Nader supporter. When I was 18. When you were 18. It was a youthful indiscretion. Okay, so how do you handle the people who take glee in seeing your falling out with many conservatives now and probably give you some I told you so's, like, oh, are you coming back to the left? I haven't gotten that, actually. You haven't? What actually I've gotten is a lot of people on the left who really hate Hillary Clinton point to my supporting her as being, well, this is the evidence that she is a neoliberal neocon warmonger. I see. It's like you can't And I've kind of reveled in that, No matter what you I'm do. like, yeah, you know what? Like, all these, all these emails that have come out and her speeches at Goldman Sachs where she's like talking about the free market and in opposing the Iran deal and whatnot, I'm like, yeah, this is great. Like, this is, we told That's you. That's really, so it's like the far left anti-Hillary folk. Yes. You're yeah, like, yeah. look, Hillary and Jamie Kerchick yeah. in the neocon, in, bed together, in exactly. bed together. And I'm like, you know it. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with her. <laughs> right. I'm with her. Bitches. <laughs> hey, should we get since you know Eliana, should we call her up now and we sure. can have I'm yeah. Sure. She'd let's call. Good. Let's call your old friend Eliana Johnson, who is Washington editor of National Review and a keen observer of the political scene. Uh, I think we have her on the line, Eliana. I'm here. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Um, great. So we've been we've been talking with with Jamie about the Republicans who have most broken our heart with their Trump support. Um, I actually should should be frank. Like, are you one of the Republicans who's breaking your heart with her, with your Trump support, or are you are you with her? <laughs> I'm actually not planning not to vote uh, atop the uh, presidential ticket. So 
I don't know how that will land with you guys, but that's what I am planning to go vote early tomorrow. And, uh, Maybe I'll write somebody in. Is that like a journalist thing? Is that a political thing, moral thing? Where, 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 does, that, where does that come from? Uh, I think I would vote um, and have voted in previous years uh, for president. So it's not out of a feeling of uh, like journalistic integrity, but I just don't care for either of the candidates. So whom are you rooting for to win, though? Like if you had to pick, if you were playing God? Um, I guess I, on the margins, I, I would maybe prefer her. Um, but Phew. I think they're both pretty terrible. So what's the mood around National Review, right? This is William F. Buckley's magazine. This is the, 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 the organ that kind of really created movement conservatism by bringing together sort of religious traditionalism and free market economics with a, a little sousson of sympathy for Franco. And so, <laughs> like, what, you know, are there, what's the ratio of, like, Trumpkins to non-Trumpkins uh, in the swank offices? Oh, the offices are extremely swank. You should come by for a tour. <laughs> Everything uh, in publishing is. I know. I know. Oh how it yes, is. Yeah. yes. Um, the mood is, I think, pretty despondent, and um, I actually don't know who's voting w- which way. I would have to guess that most people are just not voting um, uh, at top of the ticket, and they're writing in. I think I, th- I would guess most people are writing in a candidate. Zombie Reagan. What has surprised and or disappointed you most this election season, besides the candidates? Well, the one thing that I think is most notable is that I, I do think we're seeing a, a political realignment uh, underway in that I think the Democrats are consolidating their position as the party of elites. Um, they will, for the first time in, in a long time, win college-educated, white-collar voters. Mitt Romney won those voters by a large margin in 2012. Um, and Republicans are becoming the party of the working class. I think you can see that most um, visibly in Ohio, where four unions have endorsed Rob Portman. And I do think that union support, that blue-collar, white, working-class support, is becoming less and less important to Democrats. And I think uh, increasingly we'll see union workers voting for the Republican Party. And the Democrats are becoming really the party of elites and and, uh, multiculturalists. So, I mean, from from someone who comes from a labor family, my dad recently retired from the labor movement in a very empirical way. That is insane, because if if all you wanted, if if you care about your union, if you're a union person, the thing that matters most in your life uh, from for your union is who gets appointed to the National Labor Relations Board. And Democrats, even the more conservative Democrats, appoint people who make it easier to certify unions and make it easier for unions to win arbitrations. And Republicans have, are exceedingly hostile. Like they appoint people who basically, you know, supervise the union board to get rid of unions. It's like appointing anti-environmentalists. It's so cute that you think so, still think that like logic matters. Right. So I guess <laughs> I guess Facts. I was going to say I think if you ask your average union member well, that's what I was in getting Erie, to. Erie, Pennsylvania yeah. or in, you know, cold cold country in Ohio, what's the most important issue to you? A lot of them would talk about trade. And the Democratic Party now is more pro-trade than than the Republican Party. Um, you know, I, I wrote something about um, there was a huge poll done by a Republican-leaning data analytics firm of seven sample size was 7,000 people. So it was enormous. And it showed the more Republican a voter identifies as right now, the more anti-trade that voter is. There's just been a huge sea change on some, some of the issues that used to be 
um, for free marketeers, uh, incredibly important, like free trade. So I do think there's going to be sort of a redefinition of what it means to be a Republican and what it means to be a Democrat in the wake of this election. So it's basically going to be protectionist versus non-protectionist. Yeah, I, I at least think that the, that the Republican Party or Republicans will moderate their position on trade or that trade will cease to be uh, a political issue or an issue that's defined by uh, by the parties. It may be more of a regional issue. Um, I, I'm not quite sure. It'll be those of us who hate the uh, Mexicans, Jews, gays, and blacks, and those of us who don't. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's the issue that you've found to be um, of, of real imp- interest and impact to voters that, like, were not, that the media really isn't, isn't keen on and, and isn't really covering? Um, that's an interesting question. I'm, you know, I go, I, I think the Senate races and the people who are running successfully um, down ballot are running incredibly localized races. So they're not talking about the, you know, larger national national issues, but like Rob Portman in Ohio is running on these th- things I've never heard of, like some kind of, uh, you know, toxin that's in Lake Erie. Um, they've sort of tri- insulated their races um, from the national trends by running very specifically on, on issues that matter to these local communities. So when I popped into uh, the various states, I've been in Wisconsin and in, in Nevada, in Ohio, uh, I always learn about some local issue like, uh, you know, the fish in Lake Erie that I had no idea about. And I think those, that, that's been, in general, underappreciated by the national press. So what are you going to be doing on election night? I'm going to be in um, Philadelphia or in the Philadelphia area with Pat Toomey, who's been uh, he was a a strong Senate candidate in a very purple state running against a relatively weak candidate in Katie McGinty. And I wanted to be with uh, him in that campaign because I thought it was a good vantage point to write about how the Senate uh, shakes out, which I think is um, probably more interesting and more important than uh, looking at how the presidential race is going to shake out, which I think even though the media is kind of acting like the race is tightening a whole bunch, I I do think it's likely that Hillary Clinton will win. Before we go, I I was wondering if you could all just go around and say what we'll be drinking tonight. Yeah, that's that's what was was my real question. When when will you start drinking that? Not not when, but what? I think it's a a particular... Oh my God! Strategy I'm like there. Frozen margaritas in every flavor. <laughs> well, in every flavor. <laughs> I think I'll be drinking like a lot of red wine. Jamie, um, I have to go on the BBC at four thirty in the morning on election day, so I think I'm going to have a Pim's cup. <laughs> nice, very nice, nice. Um, well, it's all oxycodone for me right now with a broken <laughs> finger. I <laughs> my orthopedist true. gave me a really generous prescription, and I don't mix that with alcohol. So I'm going to do gin. Gin. Because whiskey kind of makes you like nice and mellow. Yeah, gin's gin, gonna make you angry. Gin, gin gets things weird. Well, I, be... I, I grew up learning that Jews didn't drink hard liquor. That's obviously wrong. This well, has been a this has been a, totally a subject of much discussion. Yeah, on don't, the don't, don't, don't. We will have you back at some point. But before we go, though, um, Eliana, as as a Jewess with a very Gentile name, do you, <laughs> do you ever like? Can you pass? Like, are you ever sort of hanging out with the Trumpkins at their rally, and they're like, "Oh, Ms. Johnson, you know who we really hate? The Jews." Like, are there you moments know, like that for you? Well, I will say my middle name is Yale, but it's spelled Y A E L, like Yael. And so I I went, was on a Fox News program a while back, and there were all these people tweeting at at. Um, you know, the Trump people were tweeting at each other, tipping each other off that my middle name was uh, 
was a, was Jewish and zeroing in, they somehow took the footage and zeroed in on my nose. So I've been <laughs> I've been found out. You've been outed. Well, America. They're, they're geniuses. They are. You know, it's it's like the novelist Howard Jacobson said that anti-Semites live in this perfect hell where they know more about Judaism than the Jews. Like there are all these anti-Semites out there like Yael. She's from Torah. Like they are right. so like if only your average Jewish American kid knew as cared, much about cared Judaism. Cared as much about Judaism. <laughs> um, Eliana, thank you for being one of our three Jews of the week. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Wasting away again in Margaritaville Searching for my lost sugar song Some people claim that there's a Our producer, Noah Levinson, happened to be outside Philadelphia the other day when Melania Trump, uh, Melania Knauss Trump, was uh, giving her her speech, urging us to vote for her husband because he will end bullying. And he filed this report from the field. I didn't really think there would be too much newsworthy stuff going on at the Melania Trump event. I wasn't wrong. It went exactly the way you would expect. The would-be first lady, in one of the campaign's final acts of hypocrisy, announced her intention to address her husband's favorite pastime, cyberbullying. And everything else was pretty much just greatest hits. But one thing caught my attention almost as soon as I arrived. Okay, I just saw a guy with a yarmulke go in, and I feel like such an idiot because I missed him. I spent the afternoon trying to find all the yarmulke heads I could spot in the crowd, I was determined to understand something that had baffled me this entire election season, which is, what kind of Jew votes for Trump? Ultimately, I found three Jews. Not a great sample size, but enough for the purposes of my little straw poll. And sure enough, I came upon three really different kinds of people. First was the agreeable Jew. I agree with that. And so immigrants are good, but they have to be questioned and, uh, what's the word, vetted? I wouldn't ban anybody uh, or any one particular group. He didn't think Hillary was the devil. He didn't see himself or Trump as any sort of extremist. To him, it was just about common sense. I don't think Trump, I know, I don't know him, but he's not interested in the Ku Klux Klan. But, you know, you can't help if you have a few supporters here or there. Then the conspiratorial Jew. It's the fact that the government is censoring everything we do. I have a list of cases against Obamacare, and there's a guy named Xenographic that actually censors it. Jeff Cutler. He's an elected official, actually. The tax collector for East Lampeter Township, and he thinks Obamacare makes it legal for the government to enforce a national religion and kill people who don't follow it. He says you can look it up. Look up three words, tax collector Obamacare. And finally, after the event was over, I ran into the Jew I first saw walking in. I spotted him by the tzitzit sticking out from under his coat. The reason I hadn't noticed his yarmulke inside, he'd bought a baseball cap since walking in. You know which kind. No, no, Axe, I just bought a hair, and I don't think I'll ever wear it again. And this last guy, he was really different from the first two. I just bought a hair because why not? I'm at it and just having fun. I call him the reluctant Jew. He stammered and spoke too quickly, and he seemed to almost be apologizing for supporting Trump. Maybe he thought I was judging him. Maybe I was. 
Yeah, the main point I want to get across is I think it's important that um, Jews understand how immigration is very important to Jewish life and the future of, of Jewish people in America. Jews always had, America was a very welcoming country. Of course, it's never perfect, but it was a very welcoming country and always has been for Jewish people. That's not, I thought I might get a kick out of talking to these Jewish Trump supporters. But the whole thing just left me feeling incredibly lonely. They were three really different Jews, their politics informed by very different information. But they all had one thing in common. Uh, do you uh, know a lot of Jewish people who are supporting the Trump campaign? Um, it's not so much a uh, topic that's too much discussed in my community. Do you have family members who are yeah. Jewish? And- uh, a lot of them don't want to talk about it. Uh, friends and, and relatives who support the campaign? Oh, I haven't talked to my relatives or friends about the campaign because it's such a divisive issue. And I don't want to jeopardize friendships. And I couldn't believe it. I know it's become pretty uncontroversial to say I don't talk politics. But the Jews? Who talk and bicker about everything under the sun? How could they not be talking about this election? We have to find a better way to talk to each other, to disagree with each other, to respect each other. With your help and God's grace, we'll make America great again. That was Noah Levinson outside Philadelphia with Melania Trump. So, some Mazel Tovs of the week. Liel? If you're hearing this and I'm still alive, then it's Tuesday. And I, uh, along with some others, have just completed the New York City Marathon. <laughs> and so my Mazel Tov is to all the 50,000 heroes who ran this town. Can I, can I add on to that? Because my, my cousin's actually coming in from Germany to run it. Um, they live outside of Munich. Uh, it's Hanyo Weinrib and his son, Johannes. And it's always really fun because we always go out. We, we did a river cruise last time. Or, no, sorry. Last time they were here for the marathon, we did a, a dinner cruise around the Statue of Liberty. So it's always exciting to see them. And uh, they'll, great job. See, the amazing thing is the finish line and the kind of podium where my family will be sitting by the finish line happens to be right by the giant Israeli flag that is literally like three paces away from, from the end point of this marathon. You know, I went to track you on the marathon and it says, it says you're an Israeli citizen. Like yeah. That's what it says. Yeah, so you're running for Israel. I am yep. running for my you're running for, and for my people. All right. And my Mazel Tov is uh, to my friend Derek Slap, who is running for state representative from the district in Connecticut that includes much of West Hartford and a couple surrounding towns. Weeha. Uh, Weeha. How'd you know? I actually don't know how I oh, do that. They call it Weeha. Um, anyway, so as of this moment, we don't know if he's going to win or lose, but he's been running a great campaign. He'll but be, if he loses, it's rigged. If he, if he loses, it's rigged. Uh, obviously, he's relying on the fact that he's um, that he's half Jewish to pull in a lot of that vote. Half Jewish and all Unitarian, my friend Derek Slap. But he's going to be an amazing uh, servant to the people of He'll Connecticut. make Weeha great again. Uh, he is going to make Weeha great again. So, so big ups to Derek Slap. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. It is edited this week by Noah Levinson and produced by Alyssa Goldstein and Kira Telushkin. Rabbinic supervision was by the Chicago Cubs and kosher slaughtering by James Comey. Follow Tablet on Facebook or on Twitter at Tablet Mag. Our music is by Golem. And we record at that sweet, sweet penthouse in the sky known as Argo Studios in New York City. Shalom, friends. Shalom, friends.